When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. with Wings Productions presents The Man with a Storm in His Eyes, a Skylark special miniseries written exclusively for the Skylark Bell podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Oliveri. Before I begin, if you haven't listened to the first three installments of this story, I strongly suggest you hit pause on this episode and go listen to volumes one, two, and three. Otherwise, this episode won't make much sense. In last week's episode, Marie broke the sisters' one rule and brewed a cup of the forbidden tea for herself. But she was interrupted by their early return. Disgraced and embarrassed, she returned home, only for the twins to appear outside her window a few days later. Today we conclude this wild and eerie tale. Fair warning, the ending made me cry the first time I reread the story in its entirety. Lastly, I'd like to thank Lauren and Rachel for the use of their apartment over the Thanksgiving holiday. The opportunity to house and cat sit for them gave me the calm and space I needed to start writing. And in the end, their cat, Russell, provided the inspiration for the story I wanted to write. The spark has grown into a flame, and there are more stories to come in the future, so stay tuned. But for now... It's time to get settled in, grab a blanket and a warm drink, perhaps a handkerchief just in case, and let's listen to the conclusion of The Man with a Storm in His Eyes. The spell broken, I shook my head and scurried down the stairs and out the front door to collect the book they had left behind. I ran my hand over the smoothness of its cover and noted the leather was embossed with a collection of odd symbols. I clutched the book to my chest and hurried back up to my flat as quickly as my fuzzy slippers would allow, completely oblivious to the neighbors gawking at the sight of me outside in the cold wearing only a short frilly nightie. 
I threw myself onto the sofa and placed the book on my lap, puzzling over the symbols on the cover before unbuckling its leather strap and cracking it open. I flipped through the book haphazardly and was met with page upon page of tight, cursive handwriting. Every so often, I would land on a carefully drawn illustration with labels and notations. About halfway through the book, I found a folded piece of paper tucked between the pages. I gingerly pulled it out. The ornate handwriting was different than the one filling up the pages of the book. I squinted in concentration as I began to read. Dearest Marie, You must have endless questions about the goings-on at 51 Dimley Court. We did not mean for you to get pulled into the vortex of our stormy existence, and I apologize for our poor handling of the situation the day you left. Winifred and I have decided to share with you the story that is neither ours, nor Russell's, nor even Little Jones's. The story is our mother's. Her name was Fiona Merriwell and she was what many would, for better or worse, call a witch. Our mother grew up in the old world, a time and culture filled with mystique and superstition. It would be easy to brush aside these traditions as hogwash, but as you now know, there was truth to at least some of it. Our maternal grandmother was a gifted seer and would warn people of things to come, or describe things that had happened long before any of them were born. Our mother was always envious of this gift, but her talents lay elsewhere. She was an expert healer, and could create concoctions to heal most ailments common in her time. Her one wish, however, was to find a way to recreate her mother's capabilities using her knowledge of plants, herbs, tinctures, and the like. She made it her life mission, and it cost not only her, but several of us dearly. The teas in the canisters were created by her, and she was the last one to brew a cup, until you came along, of course. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Our mother raised us on her own after our father passed away. She worked odd jobs and kept herself busy, making salves and teas to sell at local markets. Behind the scenes, however, she continued to work on her plan to create a tea that would allow her to see through veils of time. And she eventually succeeded. But things did not go as planned. She had just finished perfecting a recipe one day when there was a knock at the door. A young man, sharply dressed in a grey wool suit, stood on our front steps. He was selling top-of-the-line cookware. Our mother, always willing to indulge young entrepreneurs, invited him in and put the kettle on. She was fully intending to simply listen to his presentation, but as their conversation wore on, an idea crossed her mind. The young man mentioned that his brother had recently passed away, and that he missed him terribly, and wished he could see him again, if only for a moment. The gears in our mother's mind began turning. If she served her tea to the young man and it was effective, it might provide him with an opportunity to see his brother again. And if it failed, 
he would be none the wiser and would simply have enjoyed a nice cup of tea, no harm done. I must say at this point that our mother was neither conniving nor cruel. She was entirely under the impression that the effects of the tea would be temporary. There was no way for her to know her spontaneous decision and, ironically, lack of foresight would change the course of all our lives. And so it was that Russell J. Holcomb, luxury cookware salesman, came to sit at our kitchen table and drink the tea our mother had aptly named Violet Storm. He remained in our kitchen for a few hours, demonstrating his goods. Winifred and I came home from our jobs at the hospital partway through his sales pitch and sat at the table listening to him, enthralled. Russell was very charismatic. He would certainly have had a successful career in sales if he had never had the misfortune of knocking on our door. Winifred was especially taken with him. She would later tell me it was his smile that had won her over so quickly. Little did she know we would only rarely ever see that smile again. We were there when the tea began to take effect. I remember it so clearly because, unfortunately for Russell, there was a storm brewing outside. Winifred and I had rushed home from work due to the dark, threatening clouds hovering in the sky above. We would later learn that the stormy weather exacerbates the effects of this specific tea. But once again, I'm getting ahead of myself. Russell was just finishing a demonstration that involved cooking an omelette. He slid it onto a plate and placed it on the table for us to see. It was then that he stumbled backwards and fell to the floor. His eyes darted back and forth as a mist began to rise in them. He started to shake and pointed at something behind us. The three of us turned in unison, but there was nothing there. Our mother crouched next to him, put a hand on his shoulder, and asked if he was okay. Through rapid breaths, Russell explained that he could see other people, dozens of other people, all semi-transparent, moving through the kitchen, walking, cooking, sitting at the table. He could even see different furniture, and he could see grass on the ground as well as the different versions of the kitchen floor, layer upon layer upon layer of the past, all visible at once. He let out a scream that still echoes in my mind to this day. <coughs> then squeezed his eyes shut and clutched his head in his hands, shouting, Make it stop! Please, make it go away! Make it all go away! Distraught, our mother wrapped a dish towel around his eyes and tied it at the back of his head, then led him to the sofa to lay down and wait until the effect of the tea wore off. Once the storm passed, the effects did diminish considerably but the clouds never left Russell's eyes, and he never stopped seeing relics of the past all around him at all times. Our mother settled him in the empty flat upstairs. No one had lived there for years, and it didn't have much of a past to speak of, or see. The outside world was far too overwhelming for Russell, so he remained in the upstairs flat from that day forward. Because he had no family to speak of, Russell decided it was best to leave him flagged as a missing person to the outside world. 
it seemed simpler than trying to explain the reality of what had happened. The four of us agreed to never speak of that day's events, and our mother immediately set to work trying to create a remedy. Days turned into weeks and months. Winifred spent a lot of time upstairs keeping Russell company, and the two fell deeply in love. One day our mother announced she had come up with a remedy, a tea she called Black Moon. She brewed a pot, and Winifred volunteered to bring it up to Russell, promising to report back if he had any noticeable effects. But as Winifred was climbing the stairs to the apartment, a shadow of doubt came over her. What if this new concoction made Russell worse? Her heart ached at the thought of involuntarily harming him in any way. So she sat on the top stair outside his door and slowly drank the cup of tea herself to see how it would affect her before giving any to Russell. Russell never did drink any Black Moon tea because within a short period of time, Winifred came crashing down the stairs screaming and waving her arms in the air as though swatting away a swarm of bees. Unlike Russell, her eyes never clouded over. Instead, they turned into two deep, dark, inky pools. We came to discover that Winifred was now plagued with incessant visions of the future. Buildings being torn down, new ones being erected, wars, unrest, and the cacophony of centuries of living beyond anything she'd ever known. Her condition worsened during the new moon, when the sky was at its darkest. On these nights, her existence became nearly unbearable. Layers of the future would wrap around her like a snake wraps its body around its prey squeezing the air out of its lungs and effectively crushing it. On these nights, Winifred would wear a blindfold, which helped to alleviate some of the stress of her condition. I paused my reading then, thinking back to Christmas Eve dinner with Russell, and his odd behavior as the storm rolled in. He must have been suffering through a similar experience, a ramping up of the effects of his condition. My heart ached for him, for Winifred, who was similarly affected, for Florence, who was tasked with caring for them both, and for Jones the cat, who had now joined their ranks. I heaved a sigh, then dove back into the letter. In our mother's mind, the tea she had concocted to view the future would have cancelled out the tea Russell had ingested, which gave him visions of the past. But after seeing what happened to Winifred, we didn't dare let him drink any. It became difficult for Russell and Winifred to be in the same room. They were essentially living on different planes now. He in the past, she in the future. With only a bridge of present between them so small they could never stand on it long enough to truly be in one another's company. Heartbroken, Winifred stopped going upstairs to visit, and only rarely ever spoke. Our mother, devastated by the tragedy she had inadvertently unleashed on our family, made one last attempt at setting things straight. She pored over her craft for several months, studying herbs and tinctures used by our ancestors. Some ingredients she foraged for herself. 
others she sourced locally or from overseas. Until finally one day she came to us with the resulting golden sunset tea. This tea, she was certain, would fix both Winifred and Russell's conditions. But she insisted she would drink a cup first, to ensure there were no unexpected results. As you may have guessed, the results were, indeed, unexpected and very tragic. The last entry in our mother's book was written moments after she drank the golden sunset tea. She detailed a scene from the future of a young woman living in our flat and a cat named Jones with glowing amber eyes. She said this woman would be instrumental to the future of our family history as she would carry on guarding the tea until she reached the age of 93. That is where the diary ends. There were no details beyond that. After drinking her tea and writing in her diary, our mother walked out the front door and stood on the stoop. Winifred and I stood at the window, watching her back as she stared at the world outside, motionless. Perhaps a few minutes went by, perhaps a few hours. Neither one of us could tell. But eventually, our mother exclaimed, It's all so beautiful. Then she fell to the ground. Shaken out of our reverie, we ran to her. But she was already gone. Presumably, whatever it was the tea caused her to see, it was more than the human mind and body could take. In the decades that followed, I continued to care for Mr. Holcomb and Winifred. Winifred would provide guidance on future events and occurrences, which is how we knew you were planning on drinking the tea, and that we were going to arrive just in time to stop you. We tried to change the course of history, and arrive in time to also prevent Jones from drinking the tea, but as with every other time we've attempted to change the future, we failed. From what Winifred has shared, and she only shares things she feels are absolutely necessary, I am to make you the beneficiary of our estate upon our passing, which, Winifred has assured me, is much farther away than anyone would ever dream. Perhaps our mother's longevity tea worked better than her other teas. I wish you all the best, Marie. We shall not see you again after today. But from what I can gather, someday, in the distant future, you will once again see us. Take care, Florence. I refolded the letter and placed it back between the pages of the book, then closed the cover, rebuckling the strap and placed the book on the coffee table in front of me. There would be ample time to sift through its pages down the road. Right now, I needed to process the events of the past week. I carried on with my life over the next few days. Those days turned into weeks, months, years. And before I knew it, nearly three decades had gone by. In that time, I earned a nursing degree and used some of the knowledge from Fiona's diary to help patients. I married and divorced, had two children whose careers eventually took them to opposite ends of the country, 
adopted and went through the heartache of saying goodbye to three different cats, all with glowing amber eyes. And, well, I grew older. Not nearly as old as the twins, however, who died within days of one another at the ripe old age of 103. It was on a Wednesday afternoon, a couple of weeks after the twins' passing, that my postman Gordy placed a small package on the stoop outside my front door. I happened to be looking out the window when he came, and waved to him as he carried on to my neighbor's house. He smiled and waved back. He was always such a pleasant young man. I reached into my post box and pulled out a small stack of letters, then bent down to pick up the package. I felt my stomach tighten when I saw the return address for the solicitor's office on the parcel. I knew this day would come. This wasn't a surprise, per se, and I had only briefly met the sisters on two occasions nearly thirty years ago, yet I still felt the sting of tears in my eyes. Inside the package was a letter from the solicitor detailing the legal intricacies of the estate and the steps I needed to take to finalize things. The only other item in the box was an old antique key. I recognized it immediately as the key Florence had left for me that fateful day all those years ago. I placed the key in my palm and closed my fingers around it. If I focused enough, I could almost feel a low electrical pulse emanating from it. My first time stepping back through the door of 51 Dimley Court was surreal. Everything was exactly the same as it had been the last time I was there. Every trinket, every book, every curtain and pillow and blanket, even down to the plush towel and robe set I had used after taking a bath that Boxing Day afternoon three decades ago. I walked through the flat in wonder, gently tracing my finger along the edges of the sisters' belongings, the items strewn atop their dressers and vanities. Winifred's copy of The House on the Strand was still on her nightstand. I understood the significance now, with her experiencing time differently than the rest of us. I stood at the bottom of the stairway to Russell's flat for a long time, staring at the off-center number seven on the door. I'd read his obituary years ago. I'd lost track of how long it had been exactly, but I remembered it said he had passed peacefully in his sleep with his loved ones, presumably Winifred and Florence, by his side. Eventually, I made my way up the stairs and let myself into Russell's flat, which was also frozen in time. I stepped into his office, noting his satchel was still on the desk. I peered inside and saw a collection of marketing materials for cookware. This was the bag he was carrying the day he disappeared. That fateful day he met Fiona Merriwell and her enchanted, or cursed, depending on how one views these things, collection of teas. I stepped into the little kitchen. Bright sunshine was streaming through the window. I smiled as I remembered sitting at the table sharing a meal with Russell, telling stories and laughing together. He was a lovely man, lovely and lonely. His fate was not one anyone would have been envious of. Unable to leave the confines of his apartment, 
destined to pine away for an impossible love just within his reach, but never attainable. My heart ached for him. I lived on in the flat for 40 more years, keeping everything the same as it had always been. I eventually retired from my decades-long career as head nurse at a care home, and before I knew it, found myself older than the twins were when I first met them. I surprised myself gravitating toward some of Florence's dresses and coats. Winifred's wardrobe, however, remained too gothic for my taste. As time wore on, I became rather uninterested in the outside world, preferring to focus on my own private little secret world inside the sister's flat. I never stopped thinking of it as the sister's flat. My children rarely visited and would only stay in town long enough for a meal, always at a fancy restaurant, of course, before returning to their busy lives. And I was okay with that, because they were happy. And now we've come to today. Today is my 93rd birthday. I'm celebrating alone, and rather enjoying my own company. I finished my cup of tea 15 minutes ago, I can feel its effect taking hold. I see a warm glow around everything in the flat, as though every object has been wrapped in gold leaf and the setting sun is shining through the window, even though in reality today the sky is gray and loaded with a mass of storm clouds. I walk to the sitting room and lower my tired body into a chair by the window, turning to face the inside of the room. I watch as the past fades into view. I see Florence and Winifred as children with their mother reading stories by the fireplace. The same fireplace in which the contents of the tea canisters and Fiona's diary are burning right now. I see young Russell looking dapper in his grey wool suit with his satchel strapped over his shoulder. He's coming in to do a presentation of luxury cookware he is selling and Fiona is guiding him toward the kitchen. I see all the events Florence described in her letter unfold before my eyes. Eventually, I see myself walking into the flat for the first time, shifting uncomfortably from one foot to the other, waiting for Winifred to speak through the garish red lipstick streaked across her mouth. I marvel at my youth, how naive and innocent I was then. I watch the entire Christmas holiday unfold, cooking for Mr. Holcomb, rushing outside to rescue Jones, cuddling with him on the sofa, staring into his beautiful golden eyes, then the fateful night when he drank the tea. Layers of past begin to pile atop one another in rapid succession now, and I see events flash before me. First, I watch the twins grow old, and eventually disappear altogether. Then I see myself, older but still young by my current standards, returning to the flat after several decades away. I watch myself age at breakneck pace and eventually see myself, dressed the way I am dressed right now, walk into the room. I gasp as I catch a glimpse of my eyes, now turned into two glowing orbs filled with a swirling mass of mauve, gold, coral, and burnt orange. 
Now I understand why Fiona named this tea Golden Sunset. I watch as I gingerly lower myself into the chair I am sitting in at this very moment. That is when things truly take off. When past, present, and future finally collide. In a flash of amber, coral, and lilac, everything sets off at lightning speed. I see the future. I see what happens to me. What happens in the decades and centuries beyond this moment in time. I see the people who lived here before the twins, before Fiona, and those who will live here after. I see the field that was here before the apartment building, and the structure that will be built after its demolition decades from now. I turn to look out the window. The view is breathtaking. I can see everything that has come before, and everything yet to come, all awash in a swirl of sunset colors. It's chaotic. It's heartbreaking. It's electric. It's inspiring. It's life. And it's all so beautiful. Thank you so much for listening. I truly hope you enjoyed The Man with a Storm in His Eyes. It has been my pleasure to write and record this story for you, and I'm very much looking forward to doing it again. Stay tuned for more spooky and unusual tales in the future. If you enjoyed this story, please consider leaving a rating or a review. They're both greatly appreciated. You can also support my work by subscribing to Patreon. Patreon supporters get early access to ad-free podcast episodes, digital downloads of my music, and so much more. It's the first place I share my creations. However, if you prefer not to subscribe, but would like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so via your podcast platform. Any and all financial support is greatly appreciated. Once again, thank you for listening. I'm Melissa Oliveri writer, composer, and producer of the Skylark Bell Podcast. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. 
Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.